Thanks, Karen Vanessa. Hey, everyone. My name's Lee. I'm one of the ministers here. It's great to see you all this morning, especially those um, who are new, our guests here. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into that passage in 2 Thessalonians. So let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, yeah, our Dad in heaven, we pray this morning that as we come to your word, your will um, would, I don't know, would come into our hearts, that we'd want to obey you, that we'd want you to rule in our lives. And we pray that you'd help us this morning, help us to, to hear your word. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, when I type, typed laziness into Google, I was only slightly surprised to find how positively the word is used. Lazy chairs, lazy hair curlers, lazy recipes, lazy Sundays, and my favourite, lazy Susan. <laughs> we like taking the effort out of things. And to be honest, I often, and maybe unhealthily at times, dream of lazier days. I feel like my plate is full, overfull at times, and yet I often feel like a lazy dad, a lazy friend, and a lazy minister. I think we react negatively to accusations of laziness. I know I do. Now, when we talk about laziness, we might think of the impossible struggle to get a work, life, rest, play, family, study balance. And if you're on social media, our social media feeds, especially LinkedIn, are filled with articles about the importance of taking breaks, avoiding 10-hour workdays, and using vacation days. And rightly so. We live in a culture that overvalues busyness. We really struggle to rest. We feel like we're never doing enough. My Google search also led me to a highly rated book written, I haven't turned this on, here we go, written a couple of years back titled Laziness Doesn't Exist. I was too busy and too, or too lazy maybe to read the book, but I listened to the author on a short YouTube clip. Um, Dr. Devin Price speak about it. And he was wanting to push back against the idea that laziness is a personal moral failure. Rightly so. He was wanting to show that we often assume laziness when what's actually behind that are things like legitimate tiredness, poor mental health, neurodivergence, um, or trauma. And so a passage like this, well, it kind of grates in our culture um, and Paul's call, if you look at your Bibles, to not associate with and keep away with, keep away from fellow believers, it doesn't just feel outdated, it feels unbiblical. It feels not very Jesus-like. And so what do we do about laziness, idleness? What do we do with this passage? How do we make sense of it for ourselves in our context today and as a church family. Well, this morning I want us to slow down, to dive deep into God's word, 
and have a look what it says. The first thing we notice is that the laziness Paul is speaking of here is a chosen laziness. So we see that in verse 10, where he says, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. He's not addressing those who can't work, who are unwell or inhibited in some way from working, or those who have, you know, good rhythms of godly rest. He's addressing those who can and should be working, but are unwilling to and are busy disrupting church life. Now, I know there will be many among us who maybe after reading that passage feel guilty hearing a passage like that read. You feel like you're never doing enough. You feel the pressure to give more in all aspects of your life, maybe particularly church life. I do want to stress so much that if you're struggling with your mental health, if family life is overwhelming, if you're burnt out, if your physical health is limiting you, God is not saying, suck it up and do more. God might be saying to you this morning, be still and rest. Which brings me to the second thing, that this was a unique issue for the Thessalonian church. Between letters 1 and 2, Paul mentions idleness several times. And he also says on a number of occasions, you know, he wants to stress that he's worked night and day, laboring, toiling in order to not burden them financially while he preached the gospel. And so even the way Paul is conducting his ministry among the Thessalonians is in tune to this unique temptation that they're facing, a culture that is bent towards laziness. Now, I could be wrong. But on the whole, I don't think laziness is one of our major struggles. Even if we have moments of what might seem like laziness, I think our struggle lies at the other end of the spectrum. We're busy. We swim in a culture of busyness. It's the air we breathe. It feels close to impossible to not lead a busy life. And now, look, sometimes being overly busy can lead to moments of laziness or poor habits of rest. Being busy at work, for example, might lead to being lazy at home. It's easy for some of us to read passages like this and to be filled with pride because we work 60-hour weeks or we play three instruments and three sports alongside tutoring and Duke of Ed and serving at church. We can sometimes wear our busyness as a badge of honour. And to be honest, I'd be lying if I said I didn't struggle with this. Like, I want people to think I work, not just hard, but really hard. When people say, Lee, you're working too hard, take a break, I often think, yeah, I know, I'm pretty amazing. For a bunch of the Thessalonians, this was the struggle for them. For many of us, though, it's busyness. It's up the other end. Third, this idleness, this laziness was leading to disruptive behavior. 
Um, as you read through this passage, you see that this lazy lifestyle, like our busy lifestyle, was beginning to significantly impact their church family. How was their laziness disruptive? Well, it was common for churches back then to be very engaged with feeding the hungry, sharing their possessions with the poor. And so it's likely these people who could work and support themselves were being disruptive, choosing not to work, but take advantage of that generosity and of that system. And Paul does encourage them in verse 12, well, I didn't put it up there, um, to settle down and earn the food they eat, to not sponge off the hard work of others. And it wouldn't be the first time that people took advantage of Christian generosity. And to be honest, just the other night, we were about to cook dinner and I was like, we have no olive oil. And so I came up to church and I nabbed a bottle of olive oil, meant for, I didn't actually. <laughs> but we joked about it. We're like, there's heaps of bottles up there. Just take one of those. Um, we were only joking. But if I had done that, it's kind of like what these Christians are doing. It would seriously disrupt a way that we're trying to show the love of Jesus, that we're trying to care for people and help those in need. That's the sort of thing these Christians were doing. And so it warranted a stern rebuke. Sometimes our laziness can disrupt the good we're trying to do in church family life and broader community. You know, imagine a lazy ministry team. That would be disastrous. As would a lazy congregation. And so I'm thankful that at All Saints, we have neither of those. So many of you invest so much into church life here, and it really is such a joy to serve at this church. But maybe for some, it's worth saying that when we're lazy towards church, lazy in our commitment, in what we've said we'll do, lazy with our words, lazy in our care, it disrupts the good we're trying to do, and it means others have to pick up the pieces. I do want to stress again, though, that it's hard when we can't give and serve and invest maybe how we used to be able to or we would like to be able to. It's easy in a busy environment, even at church, to feel judged or worthless when we can't give. And personally, I've struggled with this as certain areas of life and things happen in my life has meant reduced capacity over the years. Um, but I'm fa- thankful that I've only felt a little bit of pressure from church family. Most of the pressure I feel comes from myself. <clears throat> Which brings me to how do we deal with this struggle? Or any struggle, really, for that matter. Because what Paul is saying is pretty concerning at first glance. Look what he says. Keep away from every believer who is idle. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. It's pretty intense. Let's deal with the not associating first. We read something very different in our Galatians 6 passage where Paul said, If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But do notice that back in our passage, in chapter 3, verse 15, he said, Do not regard them as an enemy, 
but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Warn them as a fellow brother and sister. In other words, restore them gently. So I think what Paul is saying when he says keep away from, don't associate, he's not saying kick them out of church, give them the cold shoulder, make them sit at the back or something like that. No, he's saying don't get involved with what they're doing, but help them through this. Like he says in Galatians 6 two, watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Help them, be near them, but just watch yourself because none of us are immune. Well, what about the in order that they may feel ashamed? That's pretty gross. Didn't Jesus die to take away our shame? I read this um, a few days ago. Uh, Russ Masterson, he wrote, Shame's unrelenting declaration is, you're not enough, you aren't welcomed, you aren't loved. Jesus would not want us to heap that on a brother or sister. That's the words that the devil would want us to hear. So I don't think that's what's going on here when Paul says, in order that they may feel ashamed. It's true that Jesus tells us to not hide our mistakes. We don't just want to cover them up and pretend like they don't exist. We need to feel ashamed of the ways that we hurt God and hurt others. To know that what we're doing is wrong. But the Bible tells us over and over again that this realization of the wrong we're doing, it should take us to the love and forgiveness of Jesus. So that we don't let sin shame us and tell us that we're not enough, that we're not loved. The gospel brings us relief in our brokenness, in our undeniable failings. And so fifth, it's this gospel, it's this message that Paul is most concerned about, that he wants to spread and be honoured. Look how he begins this section. Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured. And verse 5, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. God's love is a never stopping, never giving up love. God's love pursues us wherever we run or hide from him. God's love is greater than all our failings. God's love shines through our brokenness. It's bigger than our busyness or our laziness. Jesus' perseverance, his determination to go to the cross for us is the pinnacle of God's love, his unceasing, unquenchable love. And he wants the Thessalonians to know this deep in their hearts. And he wants this message to spread rapidly and as it does be honoured by those who put their hope in it. You know, the sort of laziness that Paul is addressing opposes the love of God. The example of Jesus, the urgency of people needing to know him. A lazy, careless, selfish Christianity, it doesn't make sense in the light of the reality of the gospel of a God who came to us and went to the cross. 
And so Paul, in his context, he overly labors for the gospel in this towards the Thessalonians in order to point them to the gospel, the tireless love of God, the son of God going all the way to the cross. And I do think what is often really countercultural in our context is your devotion and generosity towards church. I think it speaks volumes in our context in pursuit of seeing the gospel spread. You know, on top of the unavoidable hecticness that we live um, our lives in, for those who don't know Jesus, to see you devoted to this cause, to his cause, the salvation of people's lives, that, that Jesus would be known, I think it's a strong witness to the importance and worth of Jesus. And it might even show people that you work with, study with, whatever, that your work and your study and your other commitments, they come second to Jesus and his mission. Why else would you be here? Why else would you get involved? But I do also wonder if in our context, overly labouring might not actually point people to the gospel. I have wondered if, if we were better at resting if we stopped boasting in our busyness, then we'd point people to the rest and peace found in Jesus, to a salvation by grace, not by our efforts. And so lastly, I just wanted to share briefly on rest and laziness. Paul ends his letter right in, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Somehow, Paul could imagine people working hard and yet peacefully resting and being energized in God. How do we know when we're resting and not just being lazy? How can we experience God's peace in our busyness? Uh, Well, I found author Amy DeMarcangelo's reflections pretty helpful. And now this is going to be very brief, way too brief for this topic of rest, but I thought it might prompt some good discussions. Um, So stick around, grab a coffee and talk about this. Laziness, she says, has a way of perpetuating itself. Rest should be refreshing. An example I thought of was screen time. You know, when I'm just like scrolling through things or watching YouTube video after YouTube video... It doesn't actually restore me. It makes me more tired. She goes on to say, it's a really small font, sorry. Um, I'll read it out. She says, whether it's our brains or our bodies that are most tired, rest re-energizes us for the work God's called us to do. Indulging in laziness has a spiritual effect. We become less sensitive to the spirit and more numb to temptation. Idleness is a subtle segue into sin and tempts us to grow callous towards God. While laziness is the, self, is the indulgence of self, rest is enjoyed for the glory of God and the good of others. So maybe if our attempts at rest leave us feeling resentful of or indifferent towards God and church and serving at church, maybe it's not the rest we need. 
But then, maybe we've been conditioned to feel guilty about taking any sort of a break. So any break leaves us negatively, it negatively impacts our relationship with God. I think most of us here need to hear that God wants us to rest and be refreshed and restored in him. And so we need to work out what kind of rest refreshes us. And it will vary from person to person. You know, I love surfing and grabbing a coffee with a friend. They're things that God uses to help me reset and refresh. Maybe you feel refreshed after gardening, playing cards, reading a book, going for a bushwalk, or doing a crossword. Even things like a movie or playing video games, when enjoyed in moderation, can be refreshing gifts to us. So let's not judge each other for how we each rest. We are all struggling. This is a struggle in our busy culture to rest. It's hard to get this right. Let's help each other in our struggle with busyness and rest so that the gospel shines through. Let's work hard together for the spread of the gospel whilst caring for each other and carrying each other's burdens as we each inevitably face our own unique temptations and struggles. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you are a God who rests. I thank you that you offer us true rest in Jesus and that if we have our trust in you, we've found that and we look forward to the fulfillment of that um, in the life to come. And now while we struggle to, to balance many things, I pray, God, that you would help us to, to rest in you, to find energy and strength and purpose in you. And I pray that our church family would, would shine your light to this world. Amen.